And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Thanks, Moss. Keep uh, your Bible uh, open and we will uh, take a look at um, that this morning. This passage is very special to me because it contains a verse um, that my wife Joanna quotes to me frequently. Although she quotes it in the New Living Translation rather than the ESV that we're looking at this morning. So often when she's on uh, like a late shift and she might be still in bed, and I'm leaving for work in the morning. 
and I'll go and I'll go and kiss her goodbye, and I'll whisper to her, "Love you. I'll I'll see you later this evening." She'll crack one eye open, and she'll say, "Get away from me, Satan." <laughs> Which is shocking, right? But probably not as shocking as it was for Peter to have the Lord Jesus himself say that directly to him, uh, as we've just read. You see, uh, amazingly, um, after just a few verses, a a few verses after uh, Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, he's now being told by Jesus that he's the mouthpiece of the devil. Uh, What what on earth is going on here? Um, How how should we be understanding and, and interpreting this? Well, in order to understand, uh, I think we have to focus our our time this morning um, on our verse of the year, which which thankfully isn't get behind me Satan, Um, but uh, our verse of the year, the words at the end of verse uh, 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Rich, have you got the... Sorry. Thank you. Uh, and we really need to understand what Jesus is saying here uh, to unpack why he is rebuking Peter so harshly. Uh, but not only that, you also need to explain why Mark then takes us straight into chapter 9 uh, into the, the transfiguration and, and what, what the link between those two things are. So in the previous passage we looked at before Christmas, Jez, Jez took us through Mark seven and eight. Uh, and we saw in that, uh, that that people need their eyes opening. Uh, and they need their eyes opening by Jesus so that they can, they can see who he really is. Uh, people need to uh, have the, the spirit at work in them in order to have their eyes opened. And I think in this passage, Jesus, Jesus is teaching us that, that once we've had our eyes opened... We need to keep them fixed on Jesus. And and here, Jesus is teaching us the basics of discipleship. What does it look like to have your eyes opened by the Spirit and to become a disciple of Jesus? Well, this is how it works. And and in order to do that, we we need to really grasp two things. That once our eyes are open, um, there are suddenly two ways to live when previously there was only one. As we have our eyes opened, we see two people inside ourselves. First, uh, the old self, the self who loves the world, uh, who doesn't love Jesus, but loves sin. And second is our new self, the self who loves Jesus and wants to live for him. And if you are a Christian... Uh, that, that is you. And Paul says in his letters that, that we need to put our old, worldly, worldly loving self to death because, because we're a new creation. We're born again. That old person uh, who is only living for this world, that person isn't you anymore. The real you is the one who is forgiven and justified and in love with Jesus. And the discipleship 
Jesus is asking of us here is to put away the old self and to follow Jesus. Uh, That is the call to discipleship in verse 34. Jesus says uh, you can uh, either deny yourself, uh, that's your old worldly self, pick up your cross and follow me, or you can indulge your worldly self. Don't pick up your cross and by definition not follow me. There are two options. And the key here to following Jesus is understanding correctly what taking up our cross actually is. What is Jesus asking us to do? Well, we need to start to think about the cross. I think if we think about Jesus on the cross and what leads up to that, we we clearly see these things. We see suffering, persecution, pain, shame, death. So, picking up my cross should look similar, shouldn't it? That's the reason Jesus uses cross imagery. A life of discipleship, a life of living for Jesus, will cause some, or possibly all of those things, And the stakes are high because look at what Jesus says in verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So we can start to to unpack what denying yourself and picking up your cross looks like. It's, It's about losing your life or gaining your life. One of these people, the old you or the new you, has no future, and the other does. And it all hangs on what they do for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. So so these words, suffering, persecution, pain, shame, death, they aren't just everyday issues. These are not things and situations that... um, Sorry, they are situations that will directly arise from the choices that we make for Jesus and the gospel's sake. We need to be clear on this, that that taking up your cross uh, isn't dealing with difficult health issues or or losing your job or having hard family issues. Taking up your cross is for Jesus and the gospel's sake. Just as it says in verse 35. So it it means that the the suffering, the persecution, pain, shame and death of taking up your cross comes directly about because of your belief in Jesus. They're not due to your circumstances, which everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, still has to deal with. They come from loving Jesus in a world that hates him. But what does it mean to save your life and lose it, or to lose your life and save it? You read down in verse 36 and 37, this kind of idea is repeated. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Well, it comes back to denying yourself, uh, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. So, taking up your cross for Jesus' and the gospel's sake will bring suffering. 
So what do I have to deny my old worldly self? Comfort. Taking up your cross for Jesus and the gospel's sake will bring persecution. So what do I have to deny my old worldly self? Acceptance. Taking up your cross for Jesus and the gospel's sake will bring you pain. What do I have to deny my old worldly self? Worldly pleasure. Taking up your cross for Jesus and the gospel's sake will, will bring shame. And so what do I have to deny my old self? It's a worldly honour. And taking up your cross for Jesus and the gospel's sake will bring death. So what do I have to deny my old self? A worldly life. That is the, the choice that Jesus presents to his disciples here. You want to follow me? This is the cost. So let's look back at verse 35 with this in mind. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. If I want to save my life by living for the world, for the stuff I can accumulate, if, if I want comfort more than Jesus, if I want acceptance from the world more than Jesus, if I want pleasure more than Jesus, if I want honor from the world more than Jesus, if I seek to save my life looking to those things, then Jesus is really clear. I'm, I'm throwing it away. I'm losing it. But if I choose Jesus, if I love him first, if I endure suffering and persecution, pain and shame, and even possibly death, because I love Jesus so much more than the world, well then, I choose to put to death my worldly desire. But... I find true life in Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, if I am living right now for comfort, acceptance, pleasure, honor, and life, then I'm not living to please Jesus. Actually, what Jesus says here is, I'm wanting to please an adulterous and sinful generation. Doing these things reveals a heart that's just ashamed of Jesus. And that's why Jesus' warning here is clear. Why does he rebuke Peter harshly? Well, because Peter was not setting his mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was saying, uh, Peter was saying no to taking up his own cross, telling Jesus not to do, the, do it either. Peter was saying yes to to comfort, acceptance, pleasure, honor. Peter was saying yes to life and no to death. Living for now 
and in turn being ashamed of the gospel, being ashamed. And, and you can see that here. Peter's specifically ashamed here of Jesus talking about dying. Peter's ashamed of the king that talks of coming to die for him. He's actively standing up and telling Jesus, oh, don't, don't die on a cross. Don't, don't choose living for God. Choose, choose the world. Choose this sinful and adulterous world. And I, I have the same issue. I feel woefully inadequate standing here uh, telling you you need to choose a cross-shaped path. To tell you to deny your old self, uh, to take up your cross. I feel completely undone because I just feel I'm at peace with my old self. I'm not at war. I'm not putting anyone or anything to death. And I, I really need to wake up. I need to see clearly. But I think I can see clearly. But in studying this passage, you realize that actually maybe I don't. You see, I'm like the blind man in chapter 8. You know, the one who at first, uh, he could see people, but it wasn't clear, and they looked like trees walking. That's my vision, and I need Jesus to, to make that clear just like he gave the man his full sight. I need to deny my old self, not make peace with him. I need to, to take up my cross. And although this list of words looks terrifying, I need to understand that, that the stakes are terrifyingly high. Following Jesus in a fallen world uh, will always involve suffering but it's always worth it. Because he promises me a full and eternal life with him. Where, where all of the things I'm searching for here and now, the comfort, acceptance, pleasure, honor, and life, all of those things that I'm looking for here will actually ultimately be given to me because I find all of those things perfectly fulfilled in being with Christ for eternity. But if I don't follow and I'm ashamed, then I'm, then I'm losing my life. For what, what can a man give in return for his soul? That, that's, the, that's the question Jesus asks. And I mean, the answer is nothing, right? There's nothing we can give in return for our souls. But our souls have been purchased for eternity, haven't they? J Jesus... Jesus living his cross-shaped life and dying on a cross for me buys my soul. And, and I guess if you're not a Christian here this morning, that, that's sort of what, what this passage is asking you to consider. What, what are you going to do when you die? Because Jesus did die for, for anyone who might believe. Anyone who trusts and is not ashamed of Jesus is not ashamed that Jesus dies as a sacrifice for them, they can become a disciple. They can live for Jesus. They can have an eternal life that he's already purchased for you at the cross. And it is, it's this high-stakes life-and-death issue 
that flows straight into chapter 9. You see, you read what Jesus says. He says, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, God after it has come with power. And then six days later, Peter, James, and John all witness this exact amazing power as heaven opens and Jesus' reality is made clear to them. He is the Son of God. God speaks to them. And what does he say? Verse 7, a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. You see, the start of chapter 9, it just seems like a weird gear change, doesn't it? Denying yourself, taking up your cross. It's just, it's a big ask. And then you get this weird sort of thing on the mountain. But right after Jesus um, reveals himself to his disciples, he's revealing who he is. What he's revealing is the spiritual reality that I'm so blind to. See, Jesus, Jesus talks about suffering and death and having to endure for his sake, to deny ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I think when I read that, I think, oh, Jesus, <laughs> calm yourself down. This is, a, this is a bit much, a bit, a bit of discomfort, okay, but, but suffering and, and death. You know what? I'm an upstanding middle-class person. We all are. Come on, Jesus. We don't need to get carried away with all this crazy life and death talk. But in chapter 9, on the mountain, he demonstrates to his disciples, this is what's really going on. And that's what we're still slightly blind to. You see, the world isn't worth living for. It's going to end. God exists. Heaven exists. Jesus came and died to give you eternal life. That, that is true and real. It's worth living for. But it's also worth suffering for. It's even worth dying for. It's worth denying yourself. It's worth picking up your cross for. You see, Jesus is saying, don't live for a, a sinful world that is time-bound, it's not eternal. Live for Jesus. He's going to sustain you for eternity. And I think this list of cross-bearing, uh, I think it probably looks quite different for all of us. You know, maybe, maybe suffering, for example, in some places, genuinely looks like going to jail for being a Christian. But, but maybe in your context, it just looks like getting bullied at school for loving Jesus. Just make sure you don't deny, make sure you deny yourself the short-term comfort of denying Jesus, thinking that, that your life will become more comfortable. You know, maybe persecution looks, looks like the government coming to arresting you in the middle of the night for being a Christian. But, I don't know, maybe it just looks like losing friends because you won't get out and get drunk with them. 
Or, or maybe it just looks like not having many friends at work because you, you talk about Jesus too much. Just make sure you deny your old self the short-term temptation of acceptance. Thinking that, that being liked and having lots of friends now is better than living for Jesus. Maybe pain genuinely looks like getting beaten by your father for becoming a Christian. But maybe, maybe it just looks like being disowned by a family member for your faith. Just make sure you don't, make sure you deny yourself the, just the temptation of pleasure, of being ashamed of Jesus, and just finding your satisfaction in the world. And maybe, maybe shame looks like being publicly dragged through the streets for trusting Jesus. Or, or maybe it, it, it just looks like being singled out for your biblical views on, on gender or marriage that are unpopular. Just make sure you deny yourself the temptation to seek honor in the world. Don't become ashamed of Jesus as you reject his views in order just to gain popularity. And ultimately, maybe death genuinely looks like dying as a martyr in a country where the penalty for trusting Jesus is death. Or maybe it's just knowing in your heart that following Jesus is everything. That the world is nothing in comparison. And should anyone ever put you in a position to choose between death and Jesus and life and the world, you pray you would choose to be with Jesus. Just make sure you deny yourself the temptation of becoming ashamed of Jesus in order to hold on to this life that, that you're not even going to keep anyway. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God. Peter saw him transfigured and heard God from heaven speak. That's reality. Peter writes into Peter to the church saying, we ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter knows Peter's seen a reality, and he can't forget it. He understands that is the truth. Encouragingly, Peter, in this passage, doesn't seem to understand it, does he? But that, that should be a great comfort to us, that God worked in him, and God is working in us too, helping us to see more and more clearly what is the spiritual reality of our world? And so I guess as, as we close, I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling thoroughly ashamed of my lack of self-denial. I'm a lazy cross-carrier. And, and I, need, I need your help, and I think we all need each other's help. We need to help one another as a church family to, to carry cross-shaped lives together. And as a church, we need, to, we need to cry out to a merciful, loving, gracious God. And we cry out to him knowing he is able, 
is willing to provide us with whatever we need in order to do it. Because our lives are Christ's, aren't they? And it's only in him that we are truly alive. Let's pray. Lord, help us uh, to live cross-bearing lives. Lord, please uh, help us to deny our old selves. Lord, we are desperate to take up our crosses and follow you, but we feel so weak and unable. Lord, we confess when we don't do that well and when we fail. Lord, we ask for your help as we follow you. Lord, help us to be marked as a church family by cross-shaped discipleship and a true love for the life that we all have in you. We pray in your name. Amen.